All right. Well, uh, good evening. We're going to go ahead and get started, um, and because we have uh, Skagit joining with us on the live stream and others as well, we want to make the, the best use out of our time. Really appreciate uh, Preston being here. I will say this, um, yesterday was Preston's anniversary. <laughs> yeah, 16 years, and so his wife and four children are in Idaho celebrating without him, and, uh, and he... <laughs> He chose to be here with us, which I'm not sure if that was the wisest <laughs> choice, Preston, but uh, really, really appreciate uh, you being here. Um, I wonder, before we get started, if we could uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful for your goodness to us and your love and, and your grace. And as uh, Preston uh, even pointed out this morning, that we are all just beggars who have found incredible um, bread of life uh, for our days here on this earth, for all of eternity. Uh, the very reason that we were created and, and are here uh, gives us purpose and meaning. And Father, we pray that um, tonight as we continue in this conversation, uh, Lord, that we would have um, minds to receive, uh, hearts to, to uh, learn and grow. And Father, I pray that we would continue uh, as your children to follow your word, uh, to let no unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, God, that we would we would have uh, a desire uh, to speak love and grace and truth. And, um, and Lord, that in everything we do, in word or deed, uh, we would do it all to your glory. So we pray that even in this, in this hour, uh, or better, that you would be glorified in our conversation. And uh, thank you for this chance to do this. Pray it in your name. Amen. 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 Hey, just a couple things as we get going here. Um, we are going to be doing a Q&A. We asked you to, to text in your questions, started asking that last night. I do need to make an apology, uh, Preston. I did hear your sermon three times this weekend, and one of the points was to not be afraid to say, I'm sorry. If you were at the 11 o'clock service, I need to say, I'm sorry. Um, because at the end, I talked about questions that were being texted in, and I used a very strong word that some of the questions were stupid. And I should not have used, that was a strong word, that wasn't a nice thing to say, and, and I wasn't belittling you. I just didn't want us to spend a lot of time talking about if God can do anything, can he build a rock so big he can't pick it up, or Preston, how rough was it to be in middle school with a student with the last name Sprinkle, <laughs> or something like that. So that's, if those were your questions, they weren't stupid, those are valid questions. We're just going to not spend some time on them tonight. So I apologize if I offended you with, with my use of the word stupid. I really do appreciate uh, your grace on that. Um, we had over 200 questions text in, so there's no doubt uh, impossible for us to be able to cover all of those. Pastor Kip, we want to thank him, spent uh, time last night, this morning, today, sifting through all 200 questions, trying to find questions that were similar to put them together, uh, sifting out questions that may not have been uh, the best use of our time. There were, also, there were also some very, very personal questions that were, were brought in um, and that would be very unique to an individual and may not serve all of us best. And for some of those, uh, might encourage you to uh, maybe uh, email Preston directly or actually even see a counselor. I'm, I'm being serious on some of them because it's some very, very deep hurts. Didn't feel like this would maybe be the best, um, the best avenue to address some of those things. One more time, these books, um, 
uh, some of them came. We sold out this morning, but there were some that weren't sold down in Skagit, so I think that we have some more. Uh, maybe only two or three of these were left, and then I think about uh, 10 or 15 of these. So if you want to grab those afterwards, great. And if we run out again, I would encourage you to go to uh, Amazon.com or Christian Book Distributors, I yep. suppose, as yep. well. Um, for those books. Fantastic. Um, one more thing, and then we're going to let uh, Preston get going here. A lot of the questions that came in, Preston has addressed in the books. He's also addressed them um, on his uh, podcast. He's addressed them on some of his blogs that he's written, and those things are available to you. Uh, we put in the link those uh, websites, as well as uh, this one that was not in the link, the centerforfaith.com. And I'm going to give Preston just a yeah. couple minutes to tell us yeah. a little bit about this and uh, how uh, we can interact with that as well. So my, my full-time job is I'm the president of an organization called the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And our mission is we want to equip Christian leaders, churches, organizations to engage uh, questions about faith, sexuality, and gender with theological faithfulness and courageous love. Um, and so what we want to do is provide, I mean, all kinds of resources. We, we want this, this organization to be kind of a one-stop shop for anybody, any Christian who has questions in the, in the broad realm of faith, sexuality, and gender. So, uh, yeah, the website is center, centerforfaith.com. Um, we have already, we have uh, um, resources like, uh, can I attend a gay wedding? We have a whole mini booklet addressing that question. Uh, we just uploaded one just yesterday, I think, on why, you know, Jesus doesn't mention homosexuality. How do we think through that? Um, and on and on it goes. So I would encourage you to go to the website, and um, we have a newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter. The, there's a little pop-up that comes up. Those, you know, those annoying pop-ups when you go to a website. And, How do I get this thing out of there? Well, don't get this thing out of there. Sign up for the newsletter, and we'll keep you up to speed on different resources we're, we're producing. So, yeah. yeah, great. Thanks, Preston. Yeah. Hey, so let's, uh, let's just jump right in this. Preston has not right. seen these questions, uh, so <laughs> we're just uh, coming at him uh, just straight off of uh, your scary, text. Man. So, so um, and, and some of them may be a little, not really sure what they mean, but sure. you can take okay. it as you interpret it. Okay. The first one is this, is it possible to be gay and be a Christian beyond simply being celibate? How can I be in a same-sex relationship, love Jesus greatly, and not be a Christian? How is it fair that I have to live the life of a nun or a monk? Yeah, that's good. Um, great question. Uh, this is, gosh, um, a really tough one to answer. Um, <clears throat> this sounds kind of obvious, but I guess before we even answer that question, uh, for somebody who is attracted to the same sex and it's not going away, this is just how they're wired, uh, what, what's their place in the church, or how, how do they live this out, what are their options? And I think we, have to, we, ha we do have to ask the question, what is our ethical position on same-sex marriage, same-sex sexual relationships, um, and, and answer from that. If, if we're not clear on the marriage question, then our answer is going to be different. If, if we're affirming, open and affirming, if we don't believe that s sexual difference is necessary for marriage, then our answer is going to be different as well. So I'm going to approach this from, from the standpoint of a traditional view of marriage, that marriage is between a man and a woman, and all, all legitimate sexual expression belongs in that context, okay? Um, that's, that's, and I could talk more about why, you know, I hold that position, but um, let me give you, let me give four 
options that typically come up. The, the first one is celibacy, okay? The, this is kind of what the question's implying, you know, am I just to, to live as a, a nun or a monk? Um, and that, that sounds really harsh. I, I've got many Christian friends who are pursuing, who, who, are, who are gay in their orientation, but are conservative theologically, and, and, and they're pursuing the life of celibacy. And they say, you know what, Preston, I can I can actually live without sex, but I can't live without love and intimacy. And until the church can understand the difference, mm-hmm. I'm going to have a rough time belonging. Because I think culturally we have conflate. I mean, think about the movies, the 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 the, the um, TV shows, and the music we listen to. We glory. We're, we're we're in such a hypersexualized age. And that's actually trickled down to the church. I know so many Christians that believe that unless I'm sexually fulfilled, I'm not going to be a, a flourishing human. That, that is a secular perspective that's very recent to human history. H- human beings, we can live without sex, but we can't. We can't live without love and intimacy. And I have m- celibate gay Christian friends who are some are really struggling with, with deep loneliness, and I ask them, how's your Christian community? They say, I don't really have a Christian community. I'm just kind of doing this on my own. Others ask, I said, How, how's your life going? They said, you know what? I, I struggle. It's, there's times of loneliness, but I'm actually doing really well. And I say, how's your Christian community? They say, my Christian community is my family. I'm invited over to Saturday morning cartoons and, and baseball games with my, my friends who have kids, and, and I'm open to our policy and all these families, and I, I, I have, I'm not that lonely. Like, I actually have deep, deep intimacy with, with my church, and so this is why I tell churches, I said, unless we figure out a, a better theology of singleness, I think we're going to not do well at embracing celibate gay Christians, so... Um, again, psychologically, humans can live without sex, but we can't function well without love and intimacy. Um, I, I have several friends who are, uh, have a gay orientation. They're attracted to the same sex, but they're in an opposite-sex marriage called a mixed-orientation marriage. Um, and, and this has been a bone of debate, a bone of, bone of contention, because there's, a lot of, there's been a lot of destruction in that mixed orientation marriage. A lot of people kind of pretended not to be gay, and they marry a, somebody of the opposite sex, and it, it doesn't end well. But I do know several couples that when there's a lot of auth- authenticity and honesty up front, um, their marriage, it, it actually goes pretty well. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a good, good friend of mine, um, he was very upfront with his wife. He, he said, look, I'm gay. I, I, I'm attracted to the same sex, but you're my best friend, and I, I want to spend my life with you. And and they, they got married, and they have three kids now. And, um, and I said, well, wait a minute. Are you, are you, that means you're bisexual, right? And he says, no, I'm, I'm attracted to my wife, but I'm not attracted to women. I said, so let me, sorry to be crass, but are there kids in the room? Well, he, 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 he can be in a room full of um, unclothed people of the opposite sex. Naked women. <laughs> Naked women, okay. And, and, I'm and, saying and it. it would do nothing for him, nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, so you're, you don't struggle with being attracted to other women. He's like, not at all. I'm like, well, you kind of got it made. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but I, it, and his, his marriage, I would say, is as flourishing as any heterosexual marriage I know. That's not, I'm not going to say that's the norm or that's, that's going to happen for every gay person at all. I'm saying it is a category of possibility. Um, there's also the, the, the very debated route of reparative therapy. <laughs> 
um, which is where um, pe people try to change somebody's sexual orientation. Um, I know friends that have gone that route. I, I personally cannot endorse that. And, and if some Christians are a big fan of that, um, and I, they're friends of mine, some of them, and I, you know, I, we can agree to disagree. I've, just, I've seen a lot of destruction um, when people try to, they go to counseling to try to change their orientation, it just doesn't go well, and they, they, they blame themselves or blame God, and it's just, it, it, it can be a huge mess. At the same time, I do, I do know some people that say, no, I went to therapy, and now I'm not gay anymore. And who am I to say, no, you know, you're hiding it or whatever. So I also know some people, in fact, I talked to somebody in your church today <laughs> who um, is, is same-sex attracted, living with a person of the same sex, but there's no sexual stuff going on. They're, they're like, if I can say glorified roommates, maybe. They're, 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 and, and I don't know this to the, the people in, in your church, but I, friends of mine, a couple of them, um, say, you know what, we are, we're more than, we're, we're best friends, but, but we, we, almost more than that, you know, but we're not, we're not sexually active. We're a celibate gay partnership. Um, I, I, I would have some questions about that, whether, whether, whether that's the wisest path for, path for everybody. But I, again, I do know some examples where that has, has worked. And, and I don't think, if you're not engaging in sexual activity, I don't think you're violating in the Scripture. There's nothing in the Scripture that says, thou shalt not live with somebody of the same sex who's attracted. You know, the, the Scripture doesn't get that specific. So I don't think they're in sin at all. Um, so those would be kind of four, I guess, four different options yeah. uh, for people who are still gay and, and wanting to follow Jesus. Let's, let's circle back to that first option. Okay. And I, I want to go down just a little bit. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to yeah. call it a rabbit trail, but a, a deeper into this question. Because you talked about one of the things of, of not, we can live without sex, but not without love and intimacy. Mm -hmm. um, I believe uh, Lyons and Kinnaman talked about this as well in Good Faith mm -hmm. in that book. Mm -hmm. um, and you talked about in, in People to be Loved, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something like, if you know, if you have a, a problem with, or if you have a strong stance about the traditional same sex and this and that, you need more gay friends. I mean, it, that's a bad paraphrase of something you said in there. But what I'm saying is, as a church, yeah. if we're um, if we're asking people to yeah. deny themselves sexually, to live according to a biblical standard, but we as a as a church are not willing to yeah, embrace yeah, them, include yeah, them, have yeah. them part of our families, our small groups, our circles, and offer them the love and the intimacy that we all need, then, man, shame on us. Totally, yeah, it, it, it's a double standard to say, to call people to celibacy and not provide the genuine sacrificial family environment for people, because again, we can't, or what, as, as some of my gay friends said, I, I can't just obey a vocation of no. The church has told me no, 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 and okay, I'm, I'm, I get that, but what am, what am I saying yes to? We can't just say, don't have gay sex. Good luck with that. <laughs> that that's, not, that's not, we can't do that. We need to provide avenues, avenues of intimacy and inclusion for people who have said, you know what, out of faithfulness to Jesus, I'm committed. I mean, can you imagine? Out of faithfulness to Jesus, I'm going to try to walk this path of celibacy. How, that is so admirable. Like, mm -hmm. I have so much respect for my gay friends that are doing that. The least I can do is open up my doors, take the locks off, hand out keys, and say, you are part of my, you are part of my family. 
you're a part of my family. Okay, Preston, let's let's take it personally for you. Okay. Tell us a little bit because yeah. you have done that. Yeah. And you were even talking to me about your your kids' favorite friend. Oh man. So so if you were here this morning, I, I showed the quote early on of Drew, Drew Harper. Drew Harper was raised in an evangelical home. I think he's 27, I think Drew is. He's not a believer anymore. And um, we had him over to our house, and he, he jumped on the trampoline with my kids for two hours. He played Legos with my son. He, um, he talked with my daughters. He was so shocked and impressed that my daughters were asking the questions, and he, he, I, I saw him, his, we had food, his parents came out too, and he told his mom and dad, he just kept raving about, like, my kids. And I, my kid, I think my kids are great, but they're also like my kids. And I'm like, yeah, they're, 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 they have their issues too, you know? And my wife and I were frustrated how we parent our kids. But he was so, I, I just, the joy on his face of being included into my family, I've just, I've never seen anything like it. Um, he was just so so blown away at that. And, uh, you know, check, so this is a real, I guess, tearjerker, but my oldest daughter is not an emotional person. She rarely cries. But my, 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 after she hung out with Drew all day, she was just so like, this is such a wonderful person. And my wife told my oldest daughter, she says, you know what? He was, he was mocked and teased as a kid. He was bullied. He was shamed. Um, and my kids, all my kids know is this human being is like the funnest person in the world. I love being around him. He's so, he so values me. He talks to me, asks me questions. I love Drew. The thought of him being mocked and shamed, my oldest daughter burst out with tears of righteous anger. Why would anybody do that? Just so confused, just, in, just loves Drew. And, and now we Facebook back and forth, or sorry, FaceTime back and forth, these videos. He shoots these videos of him riding a bicycle as he's doing it. He's just, and my kids just light up. And, and it's not that hard. You know, it's not that hard, like, just to include people into your family. And, and um, yeah, it, it, I, think, I think of the church, I, I think we're scared to say live a life of celibacy. But if we say come be part of our family, I, I think... This, this, this call, this really difficult call to ho- sexual holiness in this, in this way, I think, would be, I think that call would be eased quite a bit mm-hmm. if we're willing to open up our doors. Yeah, which takes us down another, <laughs> but we won't, uh, we won't address this question. But it even goes beyond that to having a, uh, a, a theology of singleness. Yes. Because so often yeah. in the church, we value families, yeah. marriage, family, yeah. marriage. Yeah. What about a single person? And that's yeah. a whole different thing. We don't have time for that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So we got one question down. Good. We're doing great. All right. 50 more to uh, go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. I got um, a flight at 6.30 in the morning, so yeah. we could be okay. Okay. Um, so uh, here, here's another one. Okay. And this, this oh, is yeah, going to open yeah. up a big one. Okay. Uh, and you've got a lot to say about this one, I'm sure. <laughs> it seems that having same-sex attraction is not a choice. The attraction is there and is out of that person's control. To me... And this is where you're going to uh, talk with this one. Yeah. To me, it's the same as a race issue. They're born that way. Nothing they can do about that. How does this disqualify a person from salvation? There's two or three questions. There's several in there. questions here. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, being attracted to the same sex um, is not a choice. Maybe, I mean, with anything, there may be some rare exception or whatever, but I, I've never met a gay person who says, you know, I woke up one day as a 13-year-old, and I was like, boys, 
Girls, girls, boys. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with gay. You know, that's the life I want to. I don't know anybody that 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 chose the attractions. So we need to distinguish between three things: attractions, identity, and behavior. Attractions. I've gotten my I've gotten in trouble doing this because I started pulling fingers down. <laughs> so I'm not gonna do that. So just hang with me here. Yeah, and I got in trouble for saying stupid. You're flipping people off. I just said there's questions were stupid. I've done that before. I sat there, middle finger in front of a church. I'm surprised I was ever invited back. Attractions, identity, behavior. Attractions are not a choice. Your identity is a choice. Okay? Whether you choose to identify as gay or identify as uh, Christian, identify as same-sex attracted, uh, somebody who's a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction, or somebody who is gay. Like, th- those are identity statements, and that, that's, th- those, are, those are choices, how you identify. And then behavior is always a choice. And if you take a biblical worldview, I mean, the Bible, the, I mean, Christianity 101 says we're all born with all kinds of desires that are wrong-headed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the question is, um, what does the Bible say is the appropriate way to act on those desires? And that, that's, that's a separate question. So, um, so, uh, having, yeah, so same, having same-sex attractions, that's not a choice, okay? Um, the attraction's there, out of a person's control. It's the same as a race issue. I, I wouldn't put it quite so strong. Um, most psychologists today will, will, will talk about um, sexuality on a spectrum, that there is some fluidity in, in sexuality and sexual attractions, especially among women. It's a great book by a psychologist named Lisa Diamond called Sexual fluidity, understanding a woman's love and desire. She actually interviewed over a period of 10 years, a hundred women who identified as non-straight, whether it was just non-straight, bisexual, gay, whatever, lesbian. And over a period of 10 years, only like 5% identified the same the the whole way through. In fact, some were, you know, year one, lesbian, year two, lesbian, year three, kind of had feelings for this guy. Maybe maybe I'm bisexual. Year four, bisexual. Year five, fall in love with another woman. So maybe I'm lesbian again. Year six, year seven, I don't know what I am. Year eight, fell in love with a guy. Year nine, I've married. Year 10, I've got two kids. That that was so common, this this fluidity among especially uh, women. But also, um, people are saying that even among men, sexual fluidity is is more prevalent than than we assume. So this idea of being born with a fixed orientation, most psychologists, and most of the psychologists I read are, aren't Christian, so I'm not reading like biased Christian stuff. Most people are saying this is not the same as race. I mean, I don't know a single person who was born African-American and at 10, all of a sudden now they're white and 15, you know, 15, now they're Latino. Like, it's not the same as race. We can't make it the same as a race issue. Sexuality is way more complex. And also, it's very new. So, when we talk about the psychology of sexuality, we're at, the, we're at the very beginning of trying to understand this. Very important to understand. It's like asking Henry Ford to, to tell us everything we ever need to know about automobiles on the eve of self-driving cars, right? <laughs> you know? um, so, so right now, we just understand, if people are making kind of categorical statements about sexuality or gender identity, just know that they're, I'm gonna say a word that might be offensive, but naive. 
I mean, maybe in 50 years we'll have this down a lot better, but right now most psychologists are saying, we're, we're doing studies, we're doing surveys, we're trying to understand this, but we're at the beginning kind of stages of understanding the nature of sexuality, the nature of fluidity, the nature of uh, biology versus nature, so that, that, or biology versus nurture. So that, that comes in here. Um, most psychologists will not say, there's no scientific evidence that people are simply born with a specific orientation. There's a debate of nature versus nurture. Nature is biology. Nurture is like your environment you grow up in. Most psychologists, again, secular, Christian, religious, whatever, non-religious, will say it's a complex blend of both. Biology may, may feed into it. Nurture, environment may feed into it. And it's almost inseparable to figure it. In fact, Lisa Diamond, the one who did the, the fluidity stuff, said, you know, asking what causes se sexual attractions, sexual orientation, is like taking a piece of chocolate cake and trying to pull apart the eggs and the sugar and the flour. It's like, it's, it's just kind of all there, and it's hard to clearly identify specific causes. Um, so I, I and, but even, let's just say, again, from a Christian worldview, very clearly we're bo we are born with all kinds of desires that are not uh, the, the acting on those desires are not God's will. Like, that's just, just because you desire something doesn't mean it's okay to act on it. Like, that's, that's very clear in Scripture. So, um, let's see. So, disqualify a person from salvation. So, this, this question began with same-sex attractions and then now disqualifying from salvation. And I would say, abs, no, being gay... I don't, so here, I haven't said this yet. I don't think that being attracted to the same sex is a, is a morally culpable sin. That, that is a huge statement. And the evangelical church is split on this question. Some say, no, no, if you're, if you're just, you have a same-sex orientation, you're in sin. And you need to stop it. And my my, a lot of my gay friends are like, how, what do you mean, stop, how do I stop it? When I'm asleep, I'm, I'm not straight. Like, I'm still gay when I'm asleep. When I wake up, I'm still gay. doesn't mean I'm, like, lusting after, you know, one of my gay friends says, you know what, there's, like, what, 10,000 minutes in the week, and maybe 20 of those minutes are occupied with me thinking about sex. But in the other 10,000 minutes, I'm still gay. Like, I, being gay doesn't mean I'm just slobbering around wanting to have sex with every same-sex person I see. Just like being straight. Hopefully, I'm not just walking around with every single woman I see and saying, oh, I want to have sex with that person. That's not me. So why would we assume that of gay people? So, but they're still gay in the sense that they are attracted to the same sex. They have a gay orientation. I don't think that state is sin. I believe lust is sin, and I believe... Um, sexual behavior outside of a male-female marriage is sin. But I don't believe simply being gay is a sin. And again, there's, there's Christians who would disagree with me on that. Um, so having same-sex attractions absolutely does not disqualify you from salvation. I know several pastors who are attracted to the same sex, not acting on it. And I believe they're wonderful followers of Jesus. I would be honored to go to their church. That'd be like saying, is any sin disqualify me from salvation, which then right. disqualifies all of us. Mm -hmm. so. or, or even, yeah, if you're straight and you are attracted to the opposite sex, not just your spouse, 
<laughs> Does that disqualify you from salvation? Then we're all screwed, right? <laughs> Because I'm not just attracted. We, we don't use that word here at Preston. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't being recorded, is it? Uh, oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You'll get the emails. <laughs> yes, I will. Um, I, I don't know if you want to, uh, real quickly, yeah. not spend a lot of time on this, because the, the question said, to me, it's the same as a race issue. It's interesting how mm -hmm. African Americans say, don't equate yeah. this as a race issue, mm -hmm. by and large. I, I know I'm generalizing there. Yeah. But yeah. also, we talked about at dinner last night that instance where the woman who identified ran the, the, yeah, yeah. the uh, NAACP. Yeah. NAACP identified as a different race, and she got raked over the coals <laughs> for having a yeah. different I, race. A trans, it's actually a term. There's a term called a transracial identity, where, you're, where you identify as a race different than your biological race. And so she was actually biologically Caucasian. She identified as black, and she got hammered. And she kind of said, well, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. <laughs> the same people that are hammering me are very okay with a transgender identity. And, and race is actually... Um, a more fluid than gender, than, than, than biological sex is. Um, and so, yeah, I think there is some inconsistencies there, for sure. All right, so yeah. we, that, that's a different, that's yeah, a different yeah. that's down, that's I see some questions down here. <laughs> All right, yeah. uh, so this, this one uh, has a bit, it's a bit longer. Okay. Um, but I think it's a, it's a great question. In your talk today, you used the story of Zacchaeus to illustrate how Jesus simply loved him, and that led him to repentance mm -hmm. for his sins and being a bad guy, that's in quotes, I'm curious, are we then to assume that you see the church's role to be loving and welcoming and safe, but with the ultimate mm. goal of gay people eventually coming to repentance and turning away from the, again in parentheses, or the quotations, sin, of the sin of being gay, or do you encourage the church to be loving, welcoming, and safe, and to love with no agenda, but to delight in, and that's in quotes because that was your quote, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to delight in all humans and to walk through life in faith regardless of who we love, these are very different reasons for having conversations and can greatly affect how I, as a lesbian woman, would perceive the church's intentions yeah, in my own good. willingness that's to engage. That's good, that's good. So, um, yeah, great, great distinction. And even as I give that illustration of Zacchaeus, I can, I can almost feel this question coming on because when you talk about the kind of the Zacchaeus, it does raise almost more questions than it answers. And that, that's kind of intentional. I want to throw out stuff to get people to think. So this is, this is fantastic. And then you get on a plane and leave. <laughs> <laughs> and you got your cell phone on the... Somebody's got it up there. Um, so somebody asked me uh, as I was talking after the service, it's same question or similar question. Like, do you, when you talk about repentance, you know, the, the, the kindness of God leads to repentance for gay people. Are you saying that they need to stop being gay? And I'm going to say No. You see, again, for straight, if you're a straight, cons somewhat conservative Christian, I might need to say this five times because it just takes so long to soak in. If being gay means simply attracted to the same sex, no more, no less, that's just what it means, then I don't think you need to repent from being gay. And the distinction here is so many straight conservative Christians, when they hear the word gay, they assume 
that that means gay marriage, gay sex, you're promiscuous, you're out just sleeping, you know. They, they, the, for them, the word gay means sexual promiscuity, having sex, there, but there's nothing intrinsic to the word gay that means you're having sex. I know a lot of gay people who have no sex life. <laughs> In fact, one of my gay friends, Matt, who I shared on, the, on, on stage, I, I don't think he's ever touched another person romantically. You find me one kid in your youth group <laughs> who is that sexually pure, and I'm going to, you know, retire. Um, I mean, he, he is literally more sexually pure than any human being I've ever met, and yet he identifies I'm a gay Christian, meaning I am attracted to the same sex, but I'm not acting on it. So I, the sin, I don't even agree with the sin of being gay. I believe that certain acts of sexual expression are sin. And, and before I get judged on that, there's not a human being on earth who doesn't put some boundaries on sexual expression. You see, everybody, every human, I don't care if you're an atheist, uh, manslaughter, whatever, like, I mean, everybody's going to say, well, that's not right. They're going to put boundaries on sexual expression somewhere. And so this is my pushback to kind of the, the far, the, the left crowd saying, don't you judge me for putting the boundaries where my religion has put it for 2,000 years. Everybody puts them somewhere. Why am I the bigot? You're not a bigot for saying marriage should be between non-family members or between only two people or adults, um, adults or I mean, so, uh, humans. Yeah. <laughs> we could keep going. Yeah. Everybody's going to put limits somewhere. So my historic global Christian faith has put it where I, where I would put it between a man and a woman within the context of marriage. And I think it's kind of hypocritical for people to say, well, that's bigoted. I'm like, well, somebody's going to call you a bigot for putting it where you, where you do. So, um, let, let me get to the so, so do you encourage a church to be loving, welcoming, safe, and to love with no agenda, but to delight in all humans, um, who walk through, I would say yes. I don't think love, grace, um, value should have any, any agenda. There's, there's no footnotes to unconditional grace. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to delight in my gay and lesbian friends regardless. The, where the question comes up, and I'm not going to answer because maybe this is a different question, is what happens when somebody wants to join a church, become a member, serve on staff. We talked about this a little bit. That's you know, the like, next question. So is it okay? Yeah. So maybe we can just go. I think when it comes to somebody who says, okay, I want to make a faith commitment. I want to join your church. I want to be in leadership. I want to pursue ministry or whatever. Like, that's when we need to figure out, okay, what are the standards for holiness defined by this, this church and whatever church you're, you're wanting to belong to? And I think there the key is we just need to be consistent. We can't let some people off easy and, and then be really harsh on other people. So that's, I think consistency is a key. But maybe that's where, we're, I don't even know what the next question is. Yeah, so here, here's this, and, and we okay. did talk about this last night uh, at dinner. Um, I'm an affirming gay Christian. All right, so that's, okay. all right. Um, why can't I serve in the church using the gifts God has given me? I feel singled out for my convictions. Hmm. What are your thoughts on openly gay Christians serving in the church, no, including man. in leadership of ministries, <laughs> etc.? Great question. I, in, in, in a sense, I, I, can't, I can't answer on the behalf of, of a church. So I, in a sense, I can't, I can't give a Cornwall church answer to this question. Because every church has different 
uh, ecclesiological or church standards, right? Um, some churches would say, if you want to play on the worship team, you have to be kind of a, um, a committed Christian. You have to be pursuing holiness, not, not perfection, but you're, you're striving towards holiness. Um, and that's the standard. I know other churches that say, you know what? Uh, we have a guitar player, a drummer who's not even a Christian yet. We're hoping that by being included, he's going to experience the love of Christ. And so, and, and I, I think it, it depends on, again, what your philosophy of membership and inclusion and service is. And again, I'm just going to say, I'm not even going to um, say, here's the right philosophy, here's the wrong philosophies. I'm going to say, just make sure you're being consistent, because I don't, I don't think there is a clear black and white way to do it. I, I've got personal views. I'm not a pastor, though, so I mean, I, I can't um, do that, or I can't like, give kind of a one-size-fits-all answer. I, I would say this. Here, here's my kind of 30,000-foot response to this. Um, when somebody says, I want to, well, when somebody wants to move from just be, sitting in a pew, they, they show up on Sunday morning, they sit in the back, they listen to a message, they leave, maybe they drop money in the plate, maybe they don't, maybe they talk to people, maybe they don't, maybe they drink coffee, maybe they, they're just kind of showing up to a service. That's kind of one level. But when they take the next step and say, you know what, I don't want to just show up on Sunday, I want to belong to this family. My, my question is, theologically, what is that person saying? And here's how I would define what they're saying theologically. When they say, I want to actually belong to this community, what they're saying is, I, I want to belong to a community that is seeking holiness and repentance and righteousness. Do they have to be perfect? Well, I hope not, because churches wouldn't be around. Yeah. <laughs> but do they have to acknowledge what is sin and what is holiness and be trying, having the desire to move from sin toward holiness? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I wouldn't. And see, there's a big difference between struggling with sin and calling sin righteousness. Big difference. So if, for instance, I had a straight person who was, say, sleeping with his girlfriend, not struggling, but saying, like, I think this is wonderful, um, the sex is great, uh, she loves me, I love her, and we think this is glorifying God. Uh, we also want to be members of the church. I, I, would pro I would say, if I was a pastor, I would say, you know what, there's probably other churches that you can belong to that may be okay with that, but it, this church... That, that is, we consider that sexual immorality, and that, that's not, if you're struggling, we totally get it. I struggle too. Everybody, we all struggle with different stuff, but you can't be doing that and just saying that this is, this is great now. There's nothing, just, there's no, I'm going to keep doing this. In fact, the more the better. Like, I, that's not the standard that this specific church holds for holiness and repentance. If you want to belong to this church, what you're saying is, I want to deny myself and, and be pursuing holiness and repentance. Um, so personally, I, I would put the, I, I would make the, the line kind of attend, just attending a church. You, you can be, I don't, you, you can, you can be a, a, a pedophile. You can be a mass murderer. You can be a racist. If you want to come and sit and listen, we would never kick you out. You know, unless you're like trying to kill other people in the congregation or something. Like we're, we're gonna, we're gonna welcome you here. 
Um, but if you say, I wanted to join this, I want to be part of the family, I'm going to say, okay, just like I would with my kids, here's some family standards that we're all trying to pursue. So if you want to be part of that, you, you are totally welcome. But if they say, well, I want to join the family and not pursue that, I'm like, well, that kind of comes with being part of the family. Um, Can I just do yeah. a, one little uh, caveat? Because I feel like I don't want something you just said to be misinterpreted. Okay. Because for the sake of safety of our children and our families, a pedophile, we would welcome okay. under certain circumstances, if they were convicted uh, a child uh, molester or such that they are not allowed to be around or for the safety okay. of our children there's some, right. okay. there are some parameters <laughs> that we would okay. set on that okay okay but okay. but I, I know what you were saying i just didn't want that to be okay okay good yeah so okay yeah. um can, can i jump in sure yeah absolutely let me yeah, tell yeah. you the uh the conversations uh that our elder board and our pastoral team have uh been engaging in will continue to engage in uh it's this very thing um because where, where is it? And, and none of us are perfect. None of us are sin-free. Um, and, and yet, where is it that maybe someone who says, hey, I, I'm, I'm liking this, this spiritual journey. I don't have a clue where I am. I don't, I don't know about yeah. Jesus yet, but I, I love being here. And can I help out with parking cars? Or can I help out, you know, handing out bulletins and stuff? Why is it okay for them <laughs> as opposed to someone who says, uh, yeah, I am in this this." question was, I'm an affirming okay. gay and, and would say Christian. Um, that's, that's, I believe that my, my, I'm trying to get the right words. Now, you, you've ruined me for life. <laughs> I don't know what terms to use. That the act, the sexual activity that I'm involved okay. in, I would say, this person would say is not, I don't see it as a sin, whereas we would. So how do we deal with that? And then it gets even more fuzzy because there are other areas where there are differing convictions on some issues and matters that some would say, I don't see this as sin, and some else might say I do. And so it becomes a very, very fuzzy and difficult, complex discussion that we've been entering in. Um, that's part of why uh, we're going to all be on our elder and, and uh, pastoral team be reading this book. But it is, it is a, a difficult one of how do we be the body of Christ where, you know, whatever that catch line is, no, no perfect people allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, we are striving yeah, yeah. for uh, what God has called and created us to be, knowing that mm -hmm. none of us are, mm -hmm. are yeah. perfect in this pursuit, but are becoming. Yeah. So, um, so we're in the middle of that. Um, and yeah, it is, yeah, a, yeah. It is a, a wrestling match. It's yeah, a tension that yeah. we're, we're yeah. working yeah. through. Good. Um, I, you know, on the one hand, again, we talked about this, a little bit hesitant to just make policies um, because then it can become very legalistic, very pharisaical. At the same time, without a policy, it can become very subjective. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was uh, telling yeah. um, uh, Preston last night in, in an article that I read uh, entitled uh, Separation of Church and Hate. And they were talking about at this church how they decided they wouldn't have a lot of policies. They would engage in a lot of conversations. It's more messy. It's slower. It's uh, mm -hmm. subjective. But it values yeah. the individual. Yeah. And um, let, so. let me jump in, too. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, so this the person who asked this question, you're a specific person. And I love that. I, I don't want to make a categorical statement about every affirming gay Christian. I've met some affirming gay Christians that are just, the fruit of the Spirit just flows from their veins. I've met other affirming gay Christians who are some of those vicious people I've ever met. 
So, so I, I don't want to just say, I want to I ask more questions, not just are you affirming or not. I want to say, um, are you humble? Are you pursuing the Spirit? Are you submitting to God and His Word? Are you, you know, like I, I want to ask more questions, not just this stereotype of here's an affirming gay Christian, here's a non-affirming gay Christian or whatever. Like there's more questions. This is what I like about the case-by-case basis. Where the policy doesn't ask any more questions. It's just here's our policy. But a case-by-case says let's get to know the person. Let's get to know the heart. Also, I, I would, I mean, if, I, I would ask, well, why are you affirming? And um, again, I, I know some affirming gay Christians who say, um, this is how I'm wired. God created me this way. Um, I, this is what I desire. I really don't care what the Bible says. You know, o- Oprah says it's okay. Um, I desire this, and that's why I'm, you know, <laughs> those are really bad reasons. Um, my, my friend Justin Lee on, on here, I mean, he wrestled with Scripture for two to three years studying this. And he, he ended up becoming an affirming Christian very humbly, very cautiously. Uh, I think he's, I would put him in a different category than other affirming Christians who say, I don't need to wrestle with Scripture. I know just my desire, and, and, and I'm going to go with that. And don't you dare tell me, don't you dare question any, anybody that has that posture. There, there's other things going on called arrogance, lack of teachability, and um, even if you accept that affirming gay Christian, when you, that person, there's heart issues going on there that a year later it's going to be something else down the road that they're going to say, don't you dare tell me not to do this or do, that I have to do this. And, and there's other things going on there too. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's an that's a ongoing <laughs> tension there. All right, Preston, here's one for you. Number five. This is for you, man. What is Cornwall Church's stance <laughs> on gay marriage? Um, <laughs> We, uh, after having just said that about policies, we do have a marriage policy um, our elders um, have uh, come to and our pastors have agreed to abide by, and that is that we would mm-hmm. believe, I love how you stated the uh, historical, traditional, global yeah. uh, stance of, of, uh, of the Bible that marriage is between one male and one female um, in a in monogamous binding relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that is our stance. Uh, some of you can say, well, then would you, and what about this and that? Um, without getting, again, to just uh, policy-driven. So with that, um, if, if you are a pastor on staff at Cornwall Church, um, you, would not, you would not perform a gay marriage. You would not, do, you would not officiate uh, at a gay wedding mm-hmm. um, because of our stance and what we believe the Bible teaches about marriage. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, that opens up a ton of other questions, yeah, and we'll get into yeah, some of the rest yeah. of them. Um, all right, number six kind of, mm-hmm. kind of may hit a little bit of what one of the options you talked about earlier, but, um, but then goes on to some other stuff. Why doesn't marriage between two same-sex people glorify God the same way as marriage between a man and a woman does? Two couples, one same-sex, mm-hmm. one traditional, could be exactly the same, but the same-sex one doesn't glorify God, and the traditional one does. What is it about the gender of the two spouses that, that changes whether or not the marriage glorifies God, which you addressed yep. uh, extensively, but go ahead and hit it here. I would, um, yeah, with the marriage question, I want to, I, wanna, um, I think some people, they're not asking the right questions. I want to ask the question, here, here's three questions I want to ask everybody in this room. <laughs> um, number one, what is your definition of marriage? What is marriage? Number two, where did you get that definition from? And number three, how does Scripture inform or shape 
that definition of marriage did you have? Either marriage is a one flesh union between two sexually different persons, or marriage is a genderless institution. Um, most, almost every civilization in the history of mankind, including the three monotheistic faiths, have defined marriage as a union between two sexually different persons. Like, that's what marriage is. Marriage is not the union between two consenting adults. Um, that definition, that, that marriage is between two consenting adults, it, it, it's kind of born out of, um, if you've read the uh, 1973 uh, Humanist Manifesto that said, as long as you're consenting and as long as you're not hurting anybody, you know that ethic, it's kind of everywhere today, <laughs> just do what you want to do as long as you're not hurting anybody, that, that's not a Christian ethic. I, it, it's, it, it kind of sounds good and everybody assumes it, but that's not in the Bible. The Bible never says that, that as long as you're not hurting anybody and as long as it's consensual, then you can kind of do whatever you want. Think about the consistency there. If consent and harm are the only two ethical criteria, then we need to be consistent on that. And I, I, would, I would, I guess, push back against people who hold that ethic and say, I don't think you're being consistent. Um, po polygamous marriages, threesomes, foursomes can be consensual and not harmful. Um, uh, I, I mean, we can keep going. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can be consensual and not harmful, and yet we would say, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. Um, so, so what is your definition of marriage? My, my def the, 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 the historic um, monotheistic, meaning Islam, even Buddhism, parts of, most parts of Hinduism and historic Christianity, including Catholic, Protestant, uh, uh, um, Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Coptic Christian, African, Asian, Latin America, Europe, I mean... I, Christendom has had a definition of marriage that is, it is, that marriage by definition is a union of two sexually different persons. It's not a, 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 a union between two consenting adults. So um, I, I don't want to stack the deck, but when people say, I can't believe you believe that, I'm like, well, I don't, look, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't mock my Jewish friends for not eating shrimp. Like, that's just kind of been part of the Jewish re religion. The fact that I, I'm a Christian and believe in, in one of the most widely held beliefs in, Christ, in Christendom, that's not a weird thing. It, it may be a weird thing for 21st century Americans, but globally, people are like, this is not a, this is not a weird thing. And, and biblically, um, so, so what is your definition of marriage? Where did you get that from? If, if you believe it's just a union between two consenting adults, again, I'm going to say, where, where did you get that from? That's a very recent definition of marriage in the history of civilization. So can, can you really defend that? Most people ask that question, look at me funny, like, well, it's just, I just kind of assumed it. I'm like, well, where did you get that from? That, that really comes from the wake of the sexual revolution that made everything about consent and harm. Make sure it's consensual, don't harm anybody, then go for it. That's not a Christian ethic. Um, and how does Scripture inform your definition of marriage? Scripture, I mean, Genesis 2, Matthew 19, several other passages, very, very clear that when it talks about marriage, marriage by definition, is a coming together of two sexually different persons. Um, so so I, we need to figure all, we need to figure out a, what, what is marriage before we even ask why can't a same-sex couple that's been married by the state glorif glorify God. And I, I would simply say that, that um, God has designed the institution of marriage to be 
a, a union between two sexually different persons. Um, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, it's, it's really, I mean, it's a beautiful um, narrative where, where you have, you know, um, light and darkness and sun and, and earth and he- or heaven and earth and all these kind of differences coming together in beautiful unison. And at the apex, at the mountaintop peak of that creational differences coming together in beautiful unison, you have male, female coming together in, in a marital one flesh union, the coming together of differences in a one flesh unity. So, so it's kind of, I would say it's God has designed the very structure of creation that marriage, not all human relationships, but marriage in particular would be the coming together of two sexually different persons. Um, so we, if, if, so I would say it glorifies God because that's simply the way God, God designed it. Um, and we can keep going on about it. Right, make sure right. And, and you do address that in, in, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the yeah, book. Yeah, and that, yeah. That's a great one. Um, okay, here's, here's a really, really practical one that, that I think uh, applies to all of us okay. or very potentially could apply to all yeah. of us. Why or why not is it wrong for me to attend a gay friend or a gay family member's wedding? Okay. So this one, this one is yeah, really will become more and more... Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. relevant to all of us. I would so imagine. on the website, centerforfaith.com, I just a couple weeks ago uploaded a, it's a, a mini booklet, like 10 pages on, is it okay to attend a same-sex wedding? Um, and so let me, so I just point you there for the kind of the details. And um, A, the Bible doesn't specifically address it. Okay. So, so we're in the area of kind of like biblical principles or wisdom, not is it sin or not. If it was sin or not, the Bible would address it. The Bible doesn't address it head on. So I think that we have to listen to our conscience. I think we have to measure the relationship. We have to ask the question, why are we attending? And what would happen if we don't? And, and even in that paper, I list like seven different responses I think you can give that ranging all the way from no all the way to yes that you would attend, depending on what, what is your uh, motivation. What kind of signals would this send to the people getting married? Um, I, I personally, I, 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 yeah, I think attending... If the couple getting married isn't going to get mixed signals, like they, they know your view on marriage, but they're just kind of like, can you just be there for me? We're friends. It means so much. And if you go, I think that's great and beautiful and probably can sustain that relationship and, and open up opportunities for Jesus to enter into that relationship down the road. Um, but, but if your conscience is really searing you, or if the leaders of your church say, I don't think you should attend, I think you should con- consider that as well. So I, I, don't think there's a, I don't think there's a clear black and white answer to that question. We have to ask other questions about uh, motivation, what signals will this uh, atten- uh, send, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So if you want the, the full version of that, yeah. go to uh, centerforfaith.com. Center it's under um, pastoral papers. Uh, there's a link under resources, pastoral papers, and it's, is it okay to ascend, attend a, a same-sex wedding? And again, it's not going to spoon-feed you the right answer. It's going to provide some questions that you should ask and a framework to, to address it. All right, let's, uh, you've already addressed uh, number eight there to okay. a certain degree. Okay. Let's jump to number nine. What does it say about the character of God that he allows some to be born with same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria but then intends for them not to have intimate relationships with a partner to whom they're attracted. Yeah. A bit of a loaded question, I think. Um, it's assuming that God is single-handedly determining and creating the births of certain people with no influence of the fall. 
Um, but we, we know just, in, we know, I mean, any human knows that not everybody is born, um, if I can say whole, is that a good word? I, I was born deaf in my left ear. Does that mean that God zapped my left ear? Or was I simply born into a fallen world? I mean, we are born with all kinds of desires, physical, psychological things going on that, that are not, um, not, not the way God intended it in a, in a pre-fall world. But after Genesis 3, all creation, you know, kind of went off the rails a little bit, and, 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 and now people are born. Um, yes, they are created by God. Yes, God's involved in that, but the fall is also contributing to that, and so people are, are born Im- imperfect. Um, we are born with a sinful nature. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't, uh, what is this? I think it says that God has allowed, and this, this is a whole nother theological yeah. question, God and evil and stuff, but I would hey, say. That's, uh, that's next week in. <laughs> is it? In our oh, conversations. Oh, good luck with that, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but I would say, yes, it, God in his sovereignty and, and even in his, good, in his goodness has allowed humans the freedom to do what they do. He could have created a bunch of robots, he could have caused Adam not to sin, made it impossible for him to sin. But I would say out of love, he gave Adam the freedom to choose not God, to choose his own way. And that, according to Romans 5, that brought sin in the world, sin and death. And all of a sudden, all kinds of things entered creation that weren't the way that, that, that God had originally designed creation to, to operate. And so now God's on a, on a red-hot mission to remedy creation and, and to restore it and to redeem it and reconcile it. And that's the beauty of the, of the biblical narrative. And so within the beauty of that biblical narrative is sin and redemption. We, need, we have redemption because we have something we need to be redeemed from. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, what, what, Nick Vuvicek, Vuvicek, the guy born with no arms and no legs. Yeah. Can you imagine? No arms and no legs. And, and he is an amazing Christian. Goes around the world speaking. He's married. He's married. Happily married. Has two kids. Two kids? Yeah. Man. So, so I mean, it, it's, it's, th- this question can't be just limited on, on, on the LGBT. We need to broaden. This is a broader question about uh, human birth, the problem of evil, God's goodness and sovereignty, and, and so on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this, uh, I, I want to back up. I, I'm, I'm really trying to not be defensive on this next question. <laughs> Last weekend... I bent over backwards to say you have to be so, so very cautious when you start talking about whether it's something is a universal principle and truth or was it for a specific time. Do you remember that? Mm. I, I, I really am saying you have to be so cautious. So I've, I want to make sure that we remember that before you hear this statement because you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm a little <laughs> defensive, I know. Last week, Bob talked about women and the prohibitions against them speaking in church could be set aside because of cultural reasons. Why are prohibitions against LGBT universal truths while prohibitions against women mm-hmm. are cultural? Um, so just remember, I said that, and that was my, my reason why this is such a dangerous and slippery slope because then anytime you come across anything in the Bible you don't like or you don't want to conform to, you can just easily say, well, Pastor Bob said that thing about women, so that one doesn't apply to me either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was then. You know, that was what was uh, you take care of the poor. That was those poor people, not these poor people. That's yeah. different. That was that. Culture. These poor people are lazy. We don't need yeah, to help yeah. them. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so, just want to make sure we keep that in context. Yeah. Um, and I did acknowledge that that is you have to be extremely mm. 
back to the whole, the full preponderance of scripture. Don't look at just one chapter, one verse. Yeah. So I was talking about the specifics in Corinth as well as, as in Ephesus. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and answer that it's one? It's a great, answer. great question. <laughs> and I, I'm actually going to give a fairly quick answer, but I just want to first of all acknowledge that this is a really, this is a really complex question and complex issue. Pull, setting, pulling apart the cultural commands from the absolute non-cultural or ab, yeah, absolute command. That, that's, with, with a lot of them, it, it is kind of easy. With some of them, it does get really tricky. Um, so I, I, would, I would say this. Uh, it, it's a um, fairly simple answer is that, that the, the, the prohibition, well, the, the positive statements about sex difference in marriage and the prohibitions against same-sex sexual relations are both rooted in the creation account. Genesis 1 and 2. Gen Genesis 1 and 2 provides kind of the blueprint for creation. And interestingly, I mean, half of that creation account is, or a third of it's talking about marriage. Like, the marriage is a big part of the original design of, of God in creation. And, and that is awe cultural. It, be, it transcends culture. We have to distinguish between the intrinsic design of marriage and cultural expressions of marriage. Intrinsic design is two sexually different persons from different families. Genesis 2, 24, it says man will leave his father and mother, be married to um, his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's the intrinsic design of marriage. That hovers above all cultural expressions of marriage. Well, what are some cultural expressions of marriage? Well, we've got polygamy going on. We have misogyny going on in, in the Old Testament. Um, I love, you know, Deuteronomy is it 21 that says, you know, if a man has two wives, make sure that you don't love the son of the second wife more than the son of the first. Some weird thing. You're like, why is it just nip it in the bud and yeah. say, don't have two wives? Yeah, which the patriarchs <laughs> did all the time yeah. anyway. Yeah, oh, so totally. Messed everything so, up. so you do have these cultural expressions of how the, the shape of marriage, but that, that's not, we can't just say, well, the Bible has all these patriarchal marriages and misogyny and slavery, so we got to throw that all out. I mean, some of that, yeah, I think it's clearly culturally, cultural expressions of marriage. But the intrinsic design is to a male and female who equally bear God's image. There's no, in the creation account, it's a beautiful portrait of equality. I mean, it's astounding. If you, if you read the creation account, Genesis 1 and 2, in light of other ancient religions, it, it was a kick in the face. Because every other religion in that, in that day said that women are lesser than men and, and men are above. And, and the creation account says, no, both are created. Male and female, he created them in, in the image of God. So, so we have a, a, a real beautiful portrait in Genesis 1 and 2. So again, whenever same-sex relations are addressed, like in Romans 1, it's, it's rooted in the creation account. So um, yeah, I, I just, I don't, I've, I've actually entertained that. Because I, I know a lot of affirming Christians who argue that way saying, Oh, the prohibitions against same-sex relations are just, it's a cultural thing. Paul just had this weird view of homosexuality, and that's why he, he condemned it. But um, the ancient world is much more advanced than I think we give him credit to. It's, it's astounding how modern or how advanced they are in certain things. So um, I think it's a little, a little naive to, to just simply read a verse and say, oh, that must be cultural. It's like, well, why, why is it cultural? I mean... Yeah, um, somewhat related but different. Uh, I just want to just go down one more little tangent. Is 
uh, the whole thing, you know, a little bit of Old Testament, New Testament. Um, Preston does a phenomenal job addressing Leviticus 18 and 20 uh, in the book from both, oh, okay. from yeah. both sides of the argument. Uh, from the ones who say, this is what Leviticus says, and those say, well, yeah, but it also says don't wear polyester <laughs> right, or whatever. Right. And so it uh, does a great job with yeah. that because, uh, and, and it, it, the reason I say this is related is because, you know, we pick and choose and what's cultural and what's not. Um, again, uh, man, I'm not just trying to, to puff you <laughs> up, but the way you address that and the logic behind it, and even as you mentioned this weekend, that in all of the, all of the five passages that refer to this one that we cherry pick, there's a whole other list as well. Yeah, and yeah. so let's be consistent yeah, with yeah. that. I know, I went way down yeah. the other side. So. Um, all right, hey, uh, let's, let's, I'm gonna jump down to a couple of other ones. Um, hear the question beyond Okay. some of the, the terminology on number 14. Preston shared the story of Leslie's wife. The church is honored, and this is where I, I think the, the, the terminology here, the, the, the semantics used are a little bit off of what you were saying, but, but you'll get the question. The church is honored to celebrate the death of a gay woman, but isn't allowed to celebrate their oh. life together. I, I don't think you were saying they were no. celebrating a death. Yeah, no, no. But, no, but no, what no, this person no, is no. saying is, why is it they would be honored to participate in the funeral in a tragic event, but not uh, participate in a joyful event in the same uh, individuals. Yeah, I, I would want to. I, I didn't mean. If hope it didn't come off that way, I could see where it could have that they were celebrating the the, the death of a, um, a a gay woman. Certainly, they were they were joining with her in mourning mourning the loss. Um, I, I don't. Um, yeah, I would. I just say those are two very different categories. Um, the one, cat- the, 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 the one category is, I mean, um, the, we, I think we can mourn the death of anybody, even somebody who's really, really bad, a terrorist who dies. Um, e- even if you say there's justice there, whatever, I mean, you're still going to look at their five-year-old girl in the face and say, I'm sorry you lost your dad. Like, there, there's, death is, is, is mournful, no matter what, no matter what. Um, but that's a, different, that's a different question than saying, what is God's design for marriage, and should we celebrate the things that God has designed uh, for his, his creation? So, um, and let me say this, too. This, this may, um, with my gay friends who are not believers, or maybe even believers, but they're, they're affirming or whatever, there are... And I want to make this really clear, and this, this throws, I, this is where I get in trouble from my conservative friends. I think there's a lot of things I can celebrate with a, a same-sex relationship. Um, there's sacrifice, there's love, there's virtue. Um, I, I, can, I can learn. I, as a husband to a, trying to figure out this whole marriage thing, six, exactly 16 years into it, who, who went on a trip on his 16-year anniversary. You got a thing or two to learn, brother. I got a thing or two to learn. <laughs> I, I have no problem going to a gay married couple and say, can you, can you help me to be a better husband? And I've got theological reasons for that. The, 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 the doctrine of general revelation and the fact that everybody is created in God's image says that there is truth of God scattered all throughout creation. I, I can go to a, I can go to a, I can learn truth from a Buddhist monk. doesn't mean I'm committed to a Buddhist way of living. It just means that God has, has wired all people to have glimpses of truth and stuff they say. So I have no problem going to 
um, a gay couple, a lesbian couple, and, 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 and seeing beautiful things in their relationship. But that doesn't, that doesn't again, again, just logically or ethically, that doesn't mean that I have to throw out my religious definition of marriage that has been part of my religion for 2,000 years. Well, I would say 4,000 years if you include my Judeo-Christian yeah, uh, ethical system. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I would just say these are kind of two, I think you're blending some categories here in, in the question. Yeah. Um, so here's a, a very specific question. Uh, my ex-husband is gay and is pursuing a long-term same-sex relationship. How do we tell our teenagers that their dad is gay mm. and pursuing that same-sex relationship. Uh, it goes on to ask, why didn't God answer our prayers? Uh, what would you say to parents, oh, uh, to yeah. a parent, yeah. a, a mom, who's dealing with a, a pretty rough situation this, with this her teenagers? Is, um, got several friends in similar situations, so whoever, if you're here, I just want to say you're, you're not alone. I mean, this is not, um, I'm really sad. So it sounds like I mean, the, the, the husband is gone, like left sounds even the like faith and, and left the family and I don't, actually, it doesn't say he left the, left the faith. Um, right. um, with your kids, I, I can't really give a, a pat answer to this because I don't know the ages of your kids, their temperament, the way they're wired, if this would, when is the right time? I, I think there is a time. I, I don't think keeping it from them forever is, is, it's kind of impossible in this situation to keep it forever. Um, but I would, I would just ask the question, when is a healthy time for their spiritual journey, their, their mental health, your kids, to, to um, um, inform them on something that, that could really, really rattle them. In terms of just general kind of parenting in the LGBTQ conversation, um, I've got four kids, so f my kids are 14, 12, 10, and 8. And, um, I wish you would space those a little better. <laughs> it, it is almost to the week, two years. We wanted two years. Um, <laughs> Well, that's really more I got so many other thoughts right now. It's late. I should probably keep my mouth shut. <laughs> uh, um, maybe it's good that you're gone on your oh anniversary. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we've taken the approach of let's talk about things sooner than later. Um, so my, uh, maybe it's the nature of what I do. I mean, the words transgender, homo homosexuality, gay, lesbian. I mean, my eight-year-old knows terms probably better than my parents do. I mean, I probably guarantee that. My kids know way more gay people than most of my friends, and, and it's, it's just a, it's kind of common in the air. But part of that maybe do just, you know, what were you speaking on, Daddy, every weekend, you know? Um, so, and, and my bookshelf. Oh, this is a, this is. The other day, I have this book, you know, this bookshelf. There have literally probably about 80 books on sexuality and gender. Some some of the titles are pretty, you know, sexual fluidity in women. And you know, they, they, my kids one, one day came down and looked at my. They said, "What does Daddy do again? <laughs> like, he's down here. I know he's down here in his office." And they're like, and some of the covers are kind of sketchy. And so so. Uh, but I would say, apart from my unique situation, I would still say, look, you're. you're um, your kids will generally trust who they hear about this from first. Okay? So if you wait till they're 13, 14, 15 to start talking about this, they've already heard about it. From their teachers, their peers, from television shows, from, from, from video games, from all kinds of magazines, just, just living in our society, they're going to hear about LG, the LGBT stuff from somebody else, they will generally gravitate and trust that source more if they heard about that from there than, than from you. So I would say, 
8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I mean, I would say introduce this conversation much earlier than later so that when they really start having deeper questions, they will come to you and not to, to somebody else. Yeah. Th- that's different than this question, yeah, though. This, yeah, she's so asking, I, I've got teenage kids. When do I tell them about their so that, dad? That's, that's, yeah, this is different. So please, if you, if you heard me, everything I said in the last two minutes, I, I don't want to say necessarily directly apply that to, to this situation. I, I, I would have to know what is the temperament of the kids and, and when is going to be a healthy time for their mental and spiritual well-being to... to learn something about their dad that, that, that may be very, very confusing. It, it, may, it may be you have to preface that specific conversation with a general conversation about uh, homosexuality and, and gender-related questions. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, the other thing is, I mean, we're talking about teenagers here. They're probably a lot more intuitive than maybe this mom realizes, mm-hmm. unless they don't have a lot of connection or, or contact with their dad. They may suspect it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. But it, that would be, mm-hmm. yeah, used with, uh, yeah. and don't you think, again, I, I don't know the answer to this too, but, but uh, in that situation, to be very careful of the, the posture that, mm-hmm. I mean, straight divorced parents destroy each other mm-hmm. through their kids mm-hmm. or their kids through, you know, I mean, that whole deal, this would even, you know, even yeah. being very sensitive to. I mean, you want to cultivate... And your kids, just obviously the balance of truth and, and grace. You don't, so we, uh, for, for most of my kids, we, we homeschooled our kids. And, and um, I'm, I always got to qualify that. I'm not your stereotypical homeschool family. I, yeah, for various reasons. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, you know, one, one of the dangers of homeschooling is you end up raising Pharisees. I'm serious. Like, I've been a college professor for 10 years. My homeschool kids that came into co- my Bible colleges and stuff, they, were, they always knew Scripture the most, and they were also the most arrogant and pharisaical, kind of just generally speaking. And, and so as a homeschool parent, I'm like, I don't want my kids to be so shocked at the sin of the world. Like, I want them to actually, when they see um, people who are not like them, to not be like, ooh, whoa. You know, I want them to be, oh. I think that person might want to hear about Jesus. Like, I want them to, to bleed for people. And for some reason, I don't know, the homeschool environment doesn't naturally cultivate that kind of posture. So, so um, with this situation, yeah, I want to make sure that I would want my kids, if I was in a situation, to understand the truth, that what, what is sin, what is not sin, but also to not develop hatred, especially towards a, a father who's doing something that is I mean, leaving his family, and aside from the sexuality thing, just, just leaving your family and kids. And, um, I, but I still want, I want my kids to mourn over that and be burdened over that. And, and be, they'd probably be very, very crushed, but not to develop this bitterness and hatred, because that, that's just going to bury deep down and cause all kinds of problems. I don't, know, I don't know a single counselor or psychologist who says, yes, it's good to hold on to bitterness and anger towards somebody. Like, that's just psychologically unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would want to introduce this in a way that's not going to feed feed into that but yeah. i'm not a psychologist so i would yeah <laughs> but you are a doctor <laughs> <laughs> my kids say but you're not a real doctor <laughs> you can't heal my broken arm yeah um okay here's one and it's uh they in fact they say this is a little bit crass <laughs> they but, do don't um, they look at that <laughs> um if gay sex is bad then why does it feel good mm-hmm. if it wasn't yep. part of god's design then why did he design it to work uh, let's address the feel-good question um, again. Um, if something this this is uh, from a Christian standpoint, just because something feels good doesn't mean 
it's morally right. And I would say, I would say most, most I've been doing a lot of reading on, on secular atheist moral psychologists, some fascinating books out there. It's really fascinating. Sometimes atheist moral psychologists will, will, will present a moral framework similar to Christianity sometimes. I don't know a single atheist moral psychologist who would say that if it feels good, that in and of itself means it's okay morally to do. I can give all kinds of illustrations right now, and I don't want to, because mm-hmm. uh, your mind can probably fill, fill in some of those blanks. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, just because it feels good does not mean it's morally right, nor does it mean it's healthy psychologically or for your well-being. Can I get crass? No, well, no I won't. I'll let you do that. Oh, um, thanks. <laughs> um, uh, if it was part of God's design, uh, then why did he desi- design it to work? What does that mean, that it works? Um, if it's uh, about bringing pleasure, then you've already addressed if, that. If sex is simply a about bringing pleasure, then I guess you can say it works, but I mean, I could have sex with a tree. <laughs> and, and that, no, but I mean, I, sometimes you have to use extreme examples to get the point across. To say, there's all kinds of things I could do that I could say, well, that worked, but that doesn't mean that's God's design, okay? Um, so yeah, I, I would say ca- there's, there's several categories yeah. going on here that we need to ask, not just does it bring pleasure? Does it work? Or, you know, like uh, we need to say, does this follow God's design? And then we need to ask the question, how do we know what God's design is? And as a Christian, I mean, the Bible has to come into that conversation somewhere, right? And maybe there's natural law and, and whatever that you bring in and experience and, and tradition and all that, but the Bible has to come in when we say, how has God designed anything? We should say, well, what has God said about that, that design? So then we're just back to looking at verses that you know, take us beyond this conversation. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, we're going to wrap up here fairly quickly, but let's, let's look at it maybe a couple more. Uh, number 21. Okay. Making changes to biblical doctrine is potentially dangerous, but if changing our minds about gays leads more people to Jesus, are we obligated to do just that? Um, I would, I would say no. The, the, um, are we ob- So it's a question, but it seems like it's, it's kind of a statement. Like it, mm-hmm. it's, and, and I would say this, the, the ethical system at work in this question is what's called a utilitarian ethic. In, in layman's terms, the, the end justifies the means. Mm-hmm. If bombing uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki in, in 1945, killing 150,000 innocent civilians, if that ended World War II, then that was a morally right thing to do. And some ethic, uh, uh, who's the guy, um, uh, Robert, no, not Robert Song, uh, Singer, Peter Singer, famous, um, well-known uh, utilitarian ethicist. He's not a Christian, not, not, he's an atheist. Um, and he's, he's known as being a utilitarian uh, ethics person. Um, that, that is one ethical system um, that the history of Christianity has said that there may be some, some truth there. I think we should ask outcome and stuff, but that is not the only question. The end justifies uh, the means. Or, or as, as a pastor, I mean, um, are there things you can do that would grow this church to 10,000 people? Um, pro- probably. Maybe not in Whatcom County. <laughs> maybe, not, maybe not here. <laughs> but th- th- this is a big debate in, in the church, church growth kind of movement, like saying, Look, look, if I, if I hired in the, 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 the best 
if I had you two on stage or something, I couldn't afford that. But I mean, I, I would probably draw a big crowd. And, and maybe even people, I can preach the gospel and people hear about Jesus. And, and, and someone, you could probably make a decent case that if I did X, Y, and Z, I could accomplish this. But again, if you, if you really look at that ethically, that's not the only question you need to ask and answer to determine whether something is right or wrong. Um, we do have to ask um, questions about virtue. Is it a virtuous thing you're doing? You have to ask questions about principle. Are there just simply divine commands that this thing you're doing is going against what God has commanded? There's many different uh, ethical questions that need to work. We can't just limit it to, if it works, therefore it's good. And again, I'm saying there are, there are some ethical quick systems that reason that way. As long as it works, as long as the, 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 it accomplishes something good, then it must be morally right. But that is not historically, I don't know, if, I know few Christian ethicists who, who would be strictly utilitarian and justifies the means. What question were we on? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. So if it leads, no, I, I would say that... Um, when we're leading people to Jesus, we're also leading people to the, 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 the religion that Jesus created, um, which includes ethical commitments. Um, what if I went to the Deep South in the 1950s and, and preached a very racist um, gospel message and tons of white people came to faith in Jesus? Would that make it ethically right for me to preach a racist gospel? Um, and I can give you, there's so many illustrations I can give, and I don't want to say that that's the same as this at all. I'm just trying to illustrate the point that I, I, I think an end justifies the means ethic is, is deeply, deeply pro- problematic. And I would say anybody who's committed to that, I would challenge the consistency on that. Are you really committed to doing anything that might lead many people to Jesus? I, I don't think any, anybody in, the, in this room would, would really consistently apply that ethic to the Christian faith. Yeah. Hey, um, there's one that, that um, I want to uh, address because I think it may, it may be pointed at me. Okay. Uh, it may be more broad than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, and it's uh, a part of me in my life that you are not familiar with. Okay. And, um, but maybe I ought to let you answer it because you can be more objective, possibly. Hmm. Number 18, why are straight pastors allowed to get divorced, hmm. but gay pastors are not allowed to stay monogamous? Uh, what you don't know about me is that in the early 90s, I went through a divorce. Oh, wow, okay, okay. While being on staff wow. at this church. Okay, okay. oh, so. man. Uh, do you, you don't want to answer this? <laughs> I, I can. Okay. What I don't want to do is, yeah. is miss the actual okay. question okay. Yeah. to try and somehow seem like I'm trying to justify yeah, okay, okay. That's good. why I'm a, still a pastor. Um, I fr- I'm going to respond to just quickly to divorce in the Bible and stuff, but I, let me first of all say, with, with this type of question, it is, it is, it is the underlying challenge here is, is hypocrisy. And, and before I, I get defensive or you get defensive, I just want to step back and say, Yes, I'm, I'm sorry that, that, that the church has been more lenient on some sins and, and more strict on others. And, and that, I think we all need to own that. I mean, there's some stuff in my life that I'm like, I struggle with. And um, that, that's why I, the whole beggar showing other beggars, I think that needs to be our consistent posture. And, and, 
And I, I just want to apologize for, for different ways in which the church has been okay with this and not okay with LGBT um, relationships. Um, so having said that, I, I would say that um, there, there is some um, unclarity, how do I want to say it? There's some diversity in Scripture on whether or not divorce is allowed in certain circumstances. Um, you have Deuteronomy 24 that says you can, you can leave your wife. Uh, Ezra 9, Ezra commands divorce because they were intermarrying with pagan, you know, Canaanites, and he says, you need to leave your wife. He commanded them. Like, you're in sin if you don't leave your wife. Nehemiah, he went all, you know, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, where he started punching people in the face and ripping out beards because they're intermarrying, you know. He didn't quite say get divorced. He just kicked the snot out of them for doing it. Um, uh, Jesus makes statements like, don't get divorced. Then other times he says, well, if there's sexual immorality involved. And Paul says, don't get divorced. And then other statements he says, well, if, if, you're, if your spouse is not a believer and they leave. and all. So th- there, there's some diversity in, in Scripture on the divorce question. It's, it's why we have different views. I know, I know Christians that are like, no divorce ever. I know people who say, well, if there's sexual immorality. Other, other, I know other Christians who are very conservative theologically who says, no, the, the category of sexual immorality includes all kinds of categories of unfaithfulness that could all go down to like lust or, or, or whatever, like, or just mistreatment, abuse, and, and all these things. Um, but he, he, when it comes to this, the same-sex marriage question, when it, they're, they're, they're real, I mean, it's going to stack the deck a little bit, I guess, but um, there, there really is no diversity in Scripture. Whenever marriage is mentioned, it's, it's always between a man and a woman, Genesis 2, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 11 touches on a little bit, Matthew 19, Mark 10, uh, and, and just, just whenever marriages occur in the Bible. But then there's explicit statements about marriage being male and female, uh, Jesus says when he talks about marriage in, in Matthew 19. And whenever same-sex relations are mentioned, f- five, six passages, they're, they're always prohibited. There's never a passage, you know, so you have Ezra commanding divorce, you have Jesus saying no divorce, and then Jesus saying, well, if sexual immorality, then you can get divorced. And so you have some diversity, but with same-sex marriages, you have, you, there's literally not a verse in the Bible that hints towards same-sex marriage. Um, so you, some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, how come so many Christian leaders are endorsing it then? The, 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 only, the, the main argument is, well, the Bible is talking about then, and it's not really prepared to address modern-day marriages going on. I'm like, okay, well, that, that's a hermeneutical question. But I, I don't know a single person affirming or non-affirming who would disagree with my statement that within Scripture, there's, there's, no, there's no diversity. And, and some people say, yeah, but Jesus says we should just love everybody. I'm like, well, yeah, but that doesn't, we can't pit love up against sexual ethics. Again, we're not going to apply that to pedophilia, right? I, sorry to bring that up again. But yeah, that's like, fine, that's fine. You know, I mean, we're not going to say, well, we just need to love everybody. Well, yeah, love with ethical standards, right? Everybody, again, everybody's going to draw the line somewhere. Um, so, within, so I think that the, the divorce question, there, it's more complex and there is, there, there's more legitimate diversity within Scripture than the same-sex uh, marriage. Um, so I'm going to pass it over to you. And if you, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and um, I would love, I would love for someone that has this question, if it's directed to me, mm. the same thing we were asking people, asking us to do. Yeah. yeah. Let's have a conversation. Mm. Um, 
many of you uh, know my story, and uh, but what I would say, uh, one of the difference, without sounding like I'm trying to justify or what have you, is that when you when it's asked, so why is it okay to get a divorce? Which I I am not an advocate of divorce. I mean, I am against divorce, um, and allow a gay pastor. They're not allowed to stay monogamous. That comes back to how you interpret if, if you're talking about what is a gay monogamous relationship. Is it the option where there is not a mm -hmm. sexual behavior mm -hmm. or is it that there is sexual behavior and we would have a difference on our beliefs about if that is ongoing sin, willful ongoing sin of some behavior. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that would be, need some clarification on that as well. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, I, I don't yeah. want to get defensive and uh, and we we've had people that have left our church because mm -hmm. I am divorced and uh, and they're welcome you're welcome to do that as well I love you um, mm -hmm. and I do appreciate the grace and the pile of, mm -hmm. of bread that I received not only from Christ but from this church as well anyway so not trying to go out on a woe is Pastor Bob you know I'm not trying to make you feel sorry for me at all I just let's let's have a conversation we can talk about that uh, Preston, uh, yeah. two, three things maybe. One, thank you so much for being here this weekend. I believe that this weekend for many of us and for us as a church may be a defining moment, maybe a, a benchmark weekend that we will look back to literally for years or decades. Um, I think Ron Pye said it very well today at lunch. You have given us permission to love more, to love more like Jesus. Um, I would ask one more uh, thing of you. And I know we've just worked you to death this weekend. <laughs> Would you pray for us as yeah, the yeah. body of Christ and the expression of Cornwall Church mm -hmm. in our community and in our world? Would you pray for us as, our, as, as pastors, as elders, yeah, as yeah. families, as singles, as married people, as a church? Would you pray for us yeah, yeah, uh, as we continue yeah. to go forward with this? Father, we thank you. I just thank you for this, this body, Lord. I, just so many conversations and just a love. Even if there's disagreement or wrestling, I just the, the, the posture of this church is so beautiful. I believe it's so precious. And, and if more churches in, in, in the U.S. Could, can just exude this kind of posture of humility and, and wrestling and even to engage series like this, the conversations about these hot topics, Lord, I just thank you. I just want to thank you for what you're doing here, and I do pray for wisdom. I'm just, in looking at these questions, there's, man, there's so many hard, hard questions and personal questions and, and difficult things where there's not like a, a just a real, like an immediate chapter or verse we can whip out and, and slap it on these questions and go about our merry way. There's a lot of agony and prayer and, 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 and discussion that should happen here. So I just, I want to pray for the leadership of this church and just, the people here that they would continue to wrestle. And if there is a messy middle, a gray area, I pray that people of this church would have the courage to enter into that gray, the messiness, and not demand right answers for difficult questions that may not have clear black and white answers, but willing to live in that messy middle where grace and love is found. So thank you for this congregation. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.